What's happening, everybody? In today's video, I'm going to be responding to a clip in which creationists basically argue that life couldn't originate from non-life spontaneously without a god, and that's because of jars of peanut butter. Let's watch. I would say this. Any theory on the origin of life on the Earth, or any other planet as far as that's concerned, is a fairy tale. A fairy tale, pure and simple. Life from non-life, apart from God's direct intervention, is a fairy tale. But despite that obvious truth, evolutionists continue to build their supposedly scientific case on a foundation that virtually rules out everything that follows after it. Evolution teaches that energy, such as lightning or heat, plus matter, can occasionally create new life. Yet our entire food industry rests on the fact that this can never happen. If we examine a jar of peanut butter, it contains matter and is exposed to light and heat. But we never find new life inside unless an outside life contaminates it. If the theory of evolution was viable, then I should, occasionally, by subjecting this to energy, end up having new life. Now we go down to the store, and um, if, if I open this jar of peanut butter, maybe not often, but on some occasion, I should find new life inside. And so, when we open the jar of peanut butter, we look in there, there's no new life. And, I, and, and aren't you glad, okay? Now, um, you may smile at this, but hopefully you'll never forget it because you and I conduct, uh, collectively, over a billion experiments every year, and we've done that for virtually a hundred years, and we never encounter new life. In fact, the entire food industry of the world depends on the fact that evolution doesn't happen. Wow, that was some brilliant stuff, wasn't it? So the first thing I want to point out is that they describe the idea of life originating from non-life as a fairy tale. That's the exact phrase that they use. These are young earth creationists we're talking about here, okay? These are people who believe that the earth and universe are 6,000 years old uh, because it says so in their holy book. They believe that Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden and uh, Eve spoke to a talking snake. Uh, they believe that a 900-year-old man built a massive boat collected two of every species to survive a global flood. The core beliefs that these people hold are exactly the kind of thing that you would expect to read in a child's fairy tale. And yet here they are saying, oh, uh, this scientific viewpoint that uh, life could originate from non-life under the right conditions, which is backed up by experimental data and totally reasonable scientific assumptions, no, it's a fairy tale. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to get back to reading about how uh, a, a man-god transformed water into wine or was resurrected after he was dead for three days. Uh, it's laughable, uh, and it, I think it's arguably an example of psychological projection. And if, as they argue, life from non-life is a fairy tale, then where did God come from? Because presumably, God is a living thing. And if, as their argument goes, life can't come from non-life, then there must have been some living thing to create this god. So, 
Is there a second god that created the god they believe in? And does this second god have a third god that created him? And does it just go on like this forever in an infinite regress? Or did God just always exist? And if so, doesn't that sort of undermine the argument that they make? Because one of the premises is life can't originate from non-life. So it seems like the very logic that they're using to support their conclusion actually undermines the conclusion that they reach, uh, which signals to me that there's a very serious problem with their argument. And why would life originate from peanut butter? This is so stupid. What scientists who study the early Earth say about the origin of life? Uh, here's how we think it happens. There was this big slab of peanut butter on the early Earth. Uh, energy was subjected to it, and then bam, life originated. You know, pick up any biology textbook, and that's the first thing you read on page one. I mean, this is the first thing they teach you in any college biology course. No, this is nonsense. Uh, obviously, a jar of peanut butter is not even remotely comparable to the early Earth, and I'm astonished that this needs to be said and spelled out to anyone. I mean, the, the early Earth is gigantic compared to a jar of peanut butter. Obviously, there, there's a much larger assortment of molecules that are mixing together. You have oceans, you have rivers, you have lakes, you have volcanoes, you have impacts from asteroids and comets, uh, you have lightning strikes, uh, and then there's just the time difference. You have, you know, millions, tens of millions, even billions of years for processes like this to take place versus a jar of peanut butter which sits on the shelf for, what, like a couple of weeks before somebody grabs it from the supermarket? This is a ridiculous comparison, and I can't believe that this guy is actually making it as if it's a serious point. And I would also point out that jars of peanut butter are sealed for freshness. They have that little tab on the top that you have to peel off before you can use the peanut butter. And the whole point is to keep the peanut butter as just that, peanut butter and nothing else. Another point I would make is that even this example that they're using seems to undermine their own logic. Because remember they said, uh, life can't originate from non-life. Well, peanut butter itself comes from living things. So what, they're, what he's saying in this little thought experiment is, well, life can't originate from a byproduct of life. Life can't originate from life. Well, that's not really testing the claim that life can't originate from non-life, is it? And he uses the word experiment to describe the process of people opening up jars of peanut butter in their daily life, but no serious person would describe this as a proper scientific experiment. There have been actual experiments that assess the feasibility of abiogenesis, life originating from non-life, and the results have been very promising. Uh, there are two chapters that I think are worth mentioning here, and that I'm going to basically uh, summarize the contents of. Number one is chapter 25 of the textbook Campbell Biology, and the other one is chapter 11 of the textbook Evolution. Uh, both of them do a great job of summarizing some of the key experimental findings that shed some light in this area. So there are the classic uh, Miller-Urey experiments which were conducted in 1953, I believe. And to my knowledge, these were the first experiments that sought to replicate the conditions thought to be present on the early Earth and see whether or not uh, the molecules of life could originate. So basically what they did in a series of test tubes and uh, you know boilers and whatever, just like this big glass contraption, uh, they had a couple of things. First, they had gases that they, that they thought to be present on the early Earth, uh, so it was simulating the early atmosphere. They had liquids, and then they had uh, an energy input, which was simulating lightning or heat. Uh, and when, when you just let this thing run, 
what happens is just the molecules mixing in the little contraption. What you have is amino acids that form, which are of course the components of proteins, and then you have a variety of other organic compounds, uh, carbon-based compounds used by life that form in this contraption. And there have been several similar experiments since this original uh, Miller-Urey experiment, which have used different compositions for the atmosphere, which have used uh, different simulated energy sources, and the results have all been very similar. What happens is that amino acids form and that other organic compounds also form on the walls of uh, the glass flasks and so forth. And so what this shows us is that just having uh, the chemical conditions that were present on the Earth inputting energy, what you have is the stuff of life. Something else scientists have discovered is that if you simply test meteorites in our solar system, uh, and examine the chemical compounds that are present on these meteorites. What you find is the presence of amino acids, sugars, lipids, uh, and even some of the components of DNA and RNA. You have uh, nitrogen bases and things like this that simply form in outer space on these meteorites. And these, of course, would have been crashing into the early Earth, uh, especially during the early Earth, because there was what was known as the period of heavy bombardments, there was just a lot of leftover material in the early solar system from the formation of the Sun and the planets. So these kind of uh, you know meteor and com cometary impacts would have been much more common back then. So this is another way that the stuff of life could have found its way onto the early Earth. Uh, some other experiments have found that uh, if you provide the right chemical environment and if you if you have the right building materials in the surrounding liquid. What scientists have found is that RNA polymers will spontaneously assemble. And what I mean by RNA polymers are, so there's DNA, which is of course, uh, it's like the instruction manual for the cells of eukaryotic organisms, and then there's RNA, which is a more primitive form of this. So RNA polymers, it's just like you have one chunk of an RNA molecule and it just links together into these big strands, similar to a DNA strand. So polymers like this will spontaneously assemble under the right conditions in the laboratory. And there are some RNA molecules known as ribozymes, which can basically catalyze the reproduction of other RNA molecules, and some of them can even catalyze their own reproduction. So you have this ribozyme, it's this, uh, it's this RNA strand, and if the strand is made of the right components, and if if the environmental conditions are right. What will happen is that it will just reproduce itself. And of course, sometimes mistakes occur in the, re, uh, in the replication process. And these are just the early stages of evolution. What you have is there's a mistake in the replication, the molecule is different. And this could mean that maybe it's gonna be less efficient at replicating itself, and therefore that strand will die out, or maybe it'll become more efficient at replicating itself. And uh, it'll proliferate. And the final experimental finding that I'll mention here is that primitive cell walls also can originate spontaneously under the right conditions. And the chemical process here is actually really simple. If you just add lipids to water, what happens is that a phospholipid bilayer will form. And that's because of the way that the molecules are structured. You have one half, which is what's known as hydrophilic, uh, meaning they're attracted to water, and then you have the other half of the molecule, which is hydrophobic, meaning that it repels water. So what happens is that the hydrophobic parts meet in the middle, the hydrophilic parts meet on the exterior, and you have a primitive spherical cell wall. 
And these can also, uh, I guess the term could be replicates, these can grow in size, and they can also perform some basic metabolic functions, at least under certain conditions. And also note that what the cell wall is doing is preserving a unique internal environment, different from that outside of the cell. So putting all of this together, what we find from these experiments is that some of the key components of life could have actually originated under the conditions thought to be present on the early Earth. And these components could include amino acids, sugars, lipids, and even RNA strands, uh, which could undergo further replication, modification, and this would be basically the early stages of natural selection. So I don't see the need to insert a god here. I don't see from these experiments any reason why we should say this is impossible, there's no way this could happen without a god, and therefore uh, the idea that life originated from non-life is a fairy tale. Something else that I think worth pointing out is that there's no reason why the very first self-replicating life form that originated had to have survived and ultimately became the descendant of all life that we have on Earth today. And what I mean by this is that uh, a life form could have originated, it could have died out, another life form could have originated, that one could have died out, and this could have happened thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of times, until finally the conditions were just right, and one particular self-replicating life form ultimately continued to survive and became the descendant of all life that we have on Earth today. So when you think about it this way, the odds become much more likely that something like this could happen. But if you're thinking about it like there's only one shot, and if everything wasn't perfect, then no way, none of this would be here today, then yeah, maybe it seems very unlikely. But when you realize that this could have happened over and over and over again, over a period of millions, tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of years, uh, I think it becomes a lot less miraculous. Another point I would make is that life could still be originating on Earth today. There's no reason why life couldn't originate uh, right now somewhere off the coast of Australia, maybe near some deep sea vents, uh, it, could be, it could be happening hundreds of times per day on Earth today, and we just might not know about it, because it's not like we're, you know, out there testing every square inch of the Earth's surface, uh, you know, monitoring the DNA and RNA sequences and seeing, uh, you know, does this look like it's a new life form? It's not like we're testing for this sort of thing. And I would also point out that if a new life form did originate today, uh, because there's already life forms that are the product of about four, billions year, 4 billion years of evolution that are populating the planet, any new life form would be at a massive competitive disadvantage. So it would very likely uh, basically be driven to extinction because the life that we have today is already so well established in all of their environmental niches uh, that they would just radically outcompete any new life form that arose in a similar environment. Now, you might think that this next point is kind of a silly one, but how do we even know that life is not originating in jars of peanut butter? It's not like we're carefully monitoring this and testing to see whether or not this is the case. People just open up a jar of peanut butter and they use it. Uh, and, and he says, you know, you open a jar of peanut butter and something doesn't crawl out, or something along those lines. This stems from this popular misconception that when life originates, it must be... Uh, this massively complex creature right off the bat. You know, like there's just the soup of chemicals that mixes together, and then uh, bam, there's a fucking trilobite or spider that just crawls away. No, in reality, the earliest life forms would be extremely primitive and simple compared to the life that we have on Earth today. Uh, so if you opened up a jar of peanut butter 
and you just looked at it with your naked eye. That doesn't really tell you whether or not new life has spontaneously originated in there. Because, you know, the computer that you're using to watch this video, the mobile phone that you're watching it on, uh, these things are, in all probability, completely covered with bacteria. And you have no idea because we just can't see these tiny organisms with the naked eye. And bacteria itself is the product of about 4 billion years of evolution. So even the bacteria that's on our planet today is massively complex compared to what uh, the simplest first organisms that originated on Earth would be like. So to say I don't see it with the naked eye isn't a very powerful argument. And even if we opened up a jar of peanut butter and found that it did appear to have life inside of it, wouldn't we just assume that the peanut butter jar has been contaminated in some way? Maybe the seal wasn't adequate, maybe there was some kind of mistake at the manufacturing plants. Uh, you know, who would be testing this shit? Who would see that their peanut butter jar has what looks like some mold or bacteria or even some, you know, creature crawling around inside of it? And who would say, oh, I think uh, life has spontaneously originated within my peanut butter jar. Uh, I should send it off to some laboratory. No, people would be like, oh, well, it looks like this had been contaminated and they'd throw it away and that would be the end of it. Notice also that they conflate evolution with abiogenesis in this video. And this is something that creationists do all the time. Uh, they say at the start of the clip, they're like, evolution says that life can come from non-life or something like that. Uh, Chuck Missler says, uh, if evolution were true, you would find life within your jar of peanut butter. Evolution doesn't talk about the origin of life. Evolution is basically the description of the processes that lead to the diversification of life that already exists. How those early life forms initially originated is a separate branch of science. And this is a basic mistake that you see creationists make all the time. Uh, another point I would make is near the end of the video, Chuck Missler says, uh, the entire food industry depends upon the fact that evolution doesn't happen, or something like that. This is a laughable statement, because all across the food industry you actually see evidence of evolution. You see that many of the foods we eat are actually the product of selective breeding and artificial selection, whether we're talking about fruits, vegetables, the milk that we drink, uh, you name it. So to point at the food industry and say this is proof that evolution is not occurring is actually the exact opposite. We can also look at peanut butter in a light that will actually count as evidence against the existence of a god. Let's say there's a devout Christian who has a very severe peanut allergy. They open up a jar of peanut butter, they stick their finger inside, they put some on their tongue, they swallow it, and they have a massive allergic reaction and they end up dying right there. Uh, what are we to make of this? What are we to make of the idea that a god created this person with this defect? knowing that they would go through life with this allergy, and knowing that they would ultimately meet their end in this way, as a direct result of a defect that he created them with. What does this say about the idea that we're all perfectly designed by God, uh, and that we, he has a special plan for us? What kind of a plan is this, that I go through life with a peanut allergy, and then I die when I uh, have a bit of peanut butter? I also saw a couple of YouTube comments on the original video that I thought were hilarious and worth sharing. So one person said, Anyone else notice the seal on the peanut butter was already open? They checked to make sure there was no life before they recorded this, lol. And then somebody replied to this and they said, There was already life in the peanut butter, they just removed it. I thought that was hilarious. How funny would it be if he went to open up his jar of peanut butter and like a fucking mouse or something popped out, scared the shit out of him. That'd be gold. So those are all the points that I wanted to make in response to that creationist video. Uh, if it wasn't clear to you at the outset, which I hope it was, 
Hopefully it's clear to you now that opening up jars of peanut butter does not disprove the idea that life could originate spontaneously from non-life without a god. Thanks for watching, everybody. You can support me financially on Patreon if you'd like. You can follow me on Twitter, and make sure to subscribe for more videos. Until next time, take care.